Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I am your host, Emma Gunn-Awardner, and I'm delighted to be joined by Victoria McGrath from In The Fro. Not least, because we have so many mutual friends who, when they found out we were recording together, said, you'll love her, she's such a nice person, she's so up your street, she's so hardworking, you're going to have such a good time chatting to her. And, indeed, I did. Victoria is the brains behind In The Fro, which is a hugely popular and incredibly influential blogging website, covering everything from beauty, travel, lifestyle and fashion. Why am I telling you this? You probably already follow her. Her followers are well over a million on social media. But it's this last element, this element of fashion, that is where it all began. Victoria has a PhD in fashion, and when she started her blog was a lecturer in fashion marketing at the University of Manchester. The blog took over... And she started to do that full time. But armed with her education and extensive experience on the subject, she has been able to create a platform that helps people navigate the world of fashion, beauty, travel and lifestyle from her uniquely placed perspective. Victoria and I sat down to record as her book, The New Fashion Rules, was launched. And it was fascinating to learn about how she's created in the fro brand, the empire that it is, the work that goes into it, how she set about writing her book how she sits in the front row but hasn't become defined by it, and why she had to shelve her original dreams of being an astronaut. The links to everything we discuss will be in the show notes, including that link to her new book. So here she is. I'm delighted to have her on the show, Victoria McGrath from In The Fro on The Emma Gunn Show. I'm so delighted you're here, Victoria, but I'm going to start with happy birthday. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, six years old today. Well, the blog, yeah. A six blogger years. birthday. I've never heard of such a thing, but congratulations. <laughs> thank you. I feel like it was more of a momentous occasion last year for the five years, which I also forgot about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, six years. It's It's been a whirlwind. It's been, um, mm. it's been yeah, a lot of things have happened in that, in that time, but it's been amazing. What I mean, right? Let's. I think. Shall we go back to the beginning? Yes. Why not? So you were lecturing. Yeah. 
yeah. and doing your blog. Yes. And then at some point, the bow bro- broke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you have what a lot of people who I have spoken to within this building have had, which is a Dom from Glee moment. Oh, yes. Yes. That's a good moment. <laughs> I'm going to have to just coin it the Dom from Glee moment. <laughs> yeah. Where he gives you a, a word of advice or a piece of wisdom, and that seems to be the juncture at which everything changes. That's absolutely it. I almost feel like, have I told you this before or not? Or do you just know that that happened I to just me? Know. No, I have done research. I re- and in really? a very, very um, safe distance way, there's been no stalking. <laughs> There's been nothing inappropriate. It's just oh my been gosh. it's just been searching on the internet. I love this. Yeah, I, I did have a Dom from Glee moment. Shall I start from the beginning though? Start from the beginning, yes. Um so yeah, so like you said, so I was I was lecturing, I was a fashion well, it was technically a fashion retailing lecturer position. Mm-hmm. But I very much taught a lot of marketing, digital PR, that kind of thing, because that's what I was so obsessed with. Because mm-hmm. I had the blog and um I was also finishing up my PhD at the time, so I was... So I, was I feel like there's already a lot there. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I was literally finishing up the corrections on my PhD, I had the lecturing, and then I had the blog, and they were both taking up so much of my time, like I, I barely slept around that time. But I enjoyed it, mm-hmm. so I can't complain. Um, so, so it was a lot. And then I had this Dom from Glee moment where... Um, it was some. It was Katie Snooks actually when she used to work for Gleam a few years ago. She's now an incredible YouTuber blogger. Always has been, but she worked here. And she um, she told Dom she was like, "Oh, I think Victoria, you know, could potentially have a future career in this. Maybe chat with her." So I came down from Manchester. I was all in a big um, in a big kerfuffle because it was raining I had no idea where I was going I was I was trying to get there on the tube didn't realize how big London was compared mm-hmm. to Manchester I mean it's like five ten times the size mm-hmm. so I um I arrived very late and um pretty it much happens. pretty much Dom said to me um look I have a feeling that you're going to have a really amazing future in this um I understand that you have this job as a lecturer, which is obviously an incredible job for someone that's 24, but I do believe that you could be really successful in this. Mm -hmm. So I think you need to sort of go away, have a think what career plan you want for the future, and then then let's talk about it. And I was like, do you know what? Because I'm I'm very much a realist. Mm -hmm. And at the time, not many people were going full-time, and I was like, really? Is this really a thing? Mm -hmm. Do I really want to give up this amazing job? But, yeah, in the end, I was like, you know what? You only live once. You've got to just try things. If it doesn't work out, then maybe I could try and reapply at the university and grovel and come back. <laughs> but, yeah, no, so that, that was the moment. And it, I guess it was one of the best pieces of, of advice I've ever had. See, the Dom from Gleam, I think, he <laughs> should just, I think he should just have one of those calendars where every day you take off. Yes, yeah. a Dom quote. Yeah. That is a fantastic idea. You should write a book of quotes, <laughs> advice moments. So you were 24 in lecturing. You were doing a PhD. So you, you had been in full-time education for... A long a time. A really long time. I just loved it so much, obviously. <laughs> well, no, so I was at the University of Manchester. I started my fashion degree 2007. Started the PhD 2010. It took me three years, and then I had about six months of corrections after that, and I got my lecturing position 2013. Started the blog 2012. Yeah, so everything kind of just overlapped each other. So PhD in fashion, a doctor of fashion. Yeah. Oh, I'm only being a fool. <laughs> um, but, but obviously, you've written this book, The New Fashion Rules, which I have on the table, yeah. which we are going to talk about as well. But 
The second you open it, you are under no illusion that you're not talking about somebody who's done a chapter on coats. <laughs> do you think? Like, give me, give me your feelings right. on it. What did I'll you think? You, I'll tell you. Okay. Shall I tell you? <laughs> second you open it, well, after you get right, you get to the contents page, uh-huh. and the chapter titles are: be aware of the impacts, be social, be culturally aware and diverse, be innovative, um, and you talk about customization. You talk about inclusivity and diversity. This is not a style guide. It's no. Like someone, no one is going to pick this up and like your capsule winter wardrobe. No. Nothing wrong with that, but you yeah. definitely, the PhD is within these pages. Oh, thank you. <laughs> God, that's incredible feedback. I'm really pleased with that. Thank you. But no, that that's it. I didn't want to write a style guide because there are so many incredible books out there mm. like that and people, I guess, that are more able to tell that kind of story. For me, I, I kind of wanted something that was almost a little bit along the lines of what I'd done for the PhD, mm-hmm. but with a much more accessible, fun tone to it, mm. something where you could gather information without feeling like you were overloaded. You know, I wanted, I wanted someone to be able to pick this up on a coffee table, open it up at any page, read a couple of paragraphs and go, oh, I didn't know that, mm. you know, and take away this little snippet of info. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because I just want it to be accessible, I want it to be fun, interesting, without being too heavy. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm really pleased with that. So I'm so glad with that feedback. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> well, also, fashion is, is something that people consume in different ways. Yeah. And you obviously consume it and enjoy it in I don't want to use the word elevated but it's it's um it's an intellectualized look at fashion would you say in in the book yeah yeah it's it's absolutely I mean there's there's lots of facets and moments in this book I think for example like like you said it isn't a style guide Mm. it's very much about these moments over the past 20, 25 years since the internet kind of came into Mm. the fray and how it's adapted and manipulated and distorted the fashion industry and changed into something completely different. Mm. And that's really the story I wanted to tell, how the digital age has changed this amazing industry from what it once was Mm. to what it is now. Because, I mean, fashion means so much to so many people. Mm. And for a long time, it was very much kept in this bubble and it was very much for the elite. Um... And now it's so much more accessible mm. and people are so intrigued by fashion and they, and they love it. And I just wanted to, I wanted to give that story to everyone, you know, and show them the ways it's changed, how you can take part in fashion, how you can really enjoy it yourself and learn something new. And it is, no, unique voice is probably the wrong way to say it, but it is a perspective I don't, I haven't, I don't see all the time. Yeah. And so when you first started talking about fashion in this way and communicating in this way was it a surprise to you that as many people got you as have well you know I guess I think what's contained in the book is a lot of things that I actually haven't really spoken that much about Mm. actually which I think is why it's quite nice Mm. because I obviously I write three blog posts a week I do two videos I used to do three I do an Instagram per day. It's a lot of content. Mm, it is. And a lot of it is very style-based and advice and tips on how to wear everything. So in a way, that's why I didn't want to put that in the book. Mm. I wanted to put in the book something I haven't really talked about. Mm. Um, something that is a little bit more, not necessarily academic, but more factual. It's and a bit more anthropological, would you say? Yeah, I guess so. Just mm. more interesting. Not so much about style tips and more about lifestyle 
and fashion and how it comes together and how you can enjoy it. It's 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 really hard to describe this book because mm. I feel like there's lots of moments <laughs> in it and lots of little little sections that are quite diverse. Um, did I answer your question there? I'm, I'm very, I'm very bad at remembering questions and not no, no, going somewhere else. No, no, it's all good. But it was bringing me onto, it was bringing me onto this idea of a brand. So you have yeah. the Don from Glee moment. Yeah. Hashtag Don from Glee moment. Yeah. And you um, decided to decide to do the blog full time. Yes. Did based on your experience, digital marketing, PR, and everything. I'm guessing that gave you an advantage in how you then positioned yourself. Yes. In terms of how you approached it as a full-time business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, the fact that I was in education for so long, I like to learn. Um, I'm very much a workaholic. And whilst at the very beginning of the blog, it was entirely hobby-based, like I said, I'm very much a realist and I never thought it would ever go anywhere. Very much hobby to something I became obsessed with. So I never once thought it would go anywhere to this extent until Dom said, why don't you try it? I went full time on it. And that's when I did start, start to take it a lot more seriously um, and put a lot more of my all into everything. But it's because I am such a workaholic that... I don't like to do anything by halves. Mm. Like, if I'm going to do something, I throw myself into it and it'll have to be the best that I can possibly do. Mm. Um, yeah, well, what, were we, <laughs> what were we talking about? About setting up the brand the and about brand. having a, an yes. identity and positioning yourself. Yeah, that's, that's where I was getting to. Mm. So, yeah, so I guess at that point, it was in my mind of there is an end goal, I guess. It is to build this brand. Mm. Um, and, yeah, that workaholic in me was aiming, I guess, at that point for somewhere. Mm. But at the beginning, it, it, it wasn't there. It wasn't any kind of goal. Mm. It was just to enjoy it and write about beauty and fashion. Whereas when it got to that point, I was like, right, this is kind of where I'd like to get to. Um, and this is how I'll probably have to aim down that, that route. Mm. So, um, yeah, I just focused, tried to stay consistent, just put my all into it, didn't sleep very much. That's the... <laughs> Do you feel that that's the most important thing? Because anyone I've spoken to who has a very solid, successful platform will say that one of the most fundamental things you have to be is consistent. Consistency. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, honestly. The amount of times I preach this to people, it's absolutely consistency. Or it definitely was back when I first started anyway. I mean, when I, when I first started, I would blog once or twice a day. That's how obsessed I wow. was. Just because, and again, it was because of this background knowledge of digital and PR. Mm. Um, I knew that I needed to get lots of content out ASAP, mm. just so it was out there on the internet for SEO purposes mainly. Just so I had mm. lots of keywords people could find me, and then it, it would grow from there. So I was just putting up so much content continuously, which in a way massively worked. Mm. I remember I went away actually, it was about six years ago now, no five, must be five. And I went away to America for nine weeks on like wow. a camping trip, best summer of my life. It was great. <laughs> Shout out to Trek America. It was fantastic. And I went away and because I am so such an obsessive um, with, with work, I had written 85 blog posts before I went 85 because I knew I was like right I've got 85 days away so I need to make sure I have a blog post for every single day that I'm away because I can't drop the ball here Holy and every day and because at the time I didn't know how to schedule blog posts I mean rookie mistake so every day on the bus at like 9am I'd wake up would be on our way to 
Idaho or something. <laughs> and I'd be like, publish, publish, publish every day just to try and keep it up. And honestly, I think it was one of the best things I ever did because it just meant that I was away having like a holiday and mm. I was still putting out content and the blog was then growing continuously mm. over that summer. And it was after that that things started to change, really, and it grew and grew from there. But I think consistency, it's something that comes up again with people who have digital platforms, mm. but it's its quite a good rule for life. Yes. If you do something consistently... Yeah, it is. Then there's payoff. Yeah, absolutely. Like, encouraging Alex to cook me amazing meals every day. If I do it consistently, he's going to carry on. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> no, I, I honestly do. I think consistency with how often you post, at what times you post, the types of content that mm. you post. If you do stay consistent, people understand you. They understand your schedule. They mm. know what they're going to get. They're going to come back for more. You know, I honestly believe it's one of the, definitely like you said, the fundamentals mm. to this career. What else do you think has been key in your, in your growth in the last six years? I think... Another thing that I also mention quite a lot is it doesn't hurt to be a nice person. It really doesn't, you know. It's not hard to smile at people and to be friendly and polite. Mm. And sometimes I feel like sometimes people forget that. Mm -hmm. Um, If you can just be a nice, genuine person, it can get you everywhere, I think. I mean, it also gets... Some people that aren't like that also can get very far. But I really believe just being a nice person can get you everywhere you want to be. And I think some people forget that sometimes. Yeah, well, (laughs) there is that thing, isn't there, of be a nice person and and be a doormat. And it's all about boundaries. It's it's understanding what... Yeah. Be a nice person, but also know how not to get trampled over. Yes, know your limits, yeah. Mm. And I would would say I'm very much that kind of person. Like, I know when I'm like, "Um, excuse me? But otherwise, I mean, I think it's just... I say this a lot, but I think it's just the northerner in me. I'm just a very kind of... A very warm person but I think because of that you know I've made a lot of friends people are super lovely you know and you can get people people talk to each other mm. you don't want someone to go to their friend and say oh my gosh that Victoria was so rude you know because people talk and yeah. then, oh, that would just be awful I'd be so upset <laughs> <laughs> yeah see it's just be a nice person it will get you really far in life mm. I think I'd say that consistency and also I guess having having a goal and just aiming aiming for it in the right way possible, in, in the most appropriate way, um, staying true to yourself as well. How does one... St- it's a really big question, but, but <laughs> this has come up on the show a couple of times recently. How do you stay true to yourself? Or how does one stay true to oneself? Um, do you mean in a branding way or personal? In way? life. Just in life. In life. <laughs> um, I think I just haven't changed at all from the person I've always been, Mm. which I think is why my friends haven't deserted me at this point, because the amount of times that they're texting me asking me to go for food and drinks, and I'm like, I'm so sorry, but I've I've got something I have to do, and Mm. luckily they haven't left me yet. So it's a big question, but how, how how do you know what you stand for? Because it's one thing to grow up, be brought up a certain way, but then when you go into the world of business, especially when you're on your own, that can, those can be quite small, unformed muscles that you have to work quite hard on to, to grow and build. Yeah. I guess it's, it is just being true to yourself and knowing who you want to be, who you are, who you've been brought up as, and I guess kind of like the morals and ethics that you've always had instilled in you, mm-hmm. I think. Um, it's just those little advice pieces you get from friends and family that you kind of live by. And, and I'm sure, like, friends of mine have said to me, like, 
if you ever change and become a different person, mm. I'm not going to be friends with you. So <laughs> always, always stay down to earth and friendly and then, then we'll get on. Um, yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, there's so many times when I don't get back to my friends about trips and seeing them. And yeah, they haven't, they haven't abandoned me yet mm. because they know that I'm still the same person I was. I'm mm. just a little bit busier. Um, oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. But I, I do, I just, I haven't changed at all from the person I always was back, back in uni to now. I'm just, I guess I am just a bit busier. I've got mm. my, this wonderful kind of brand that I'm trying to grow, a wonderful team around me. And I'm just staying true to... The, the person I am and the person I want to be and you know that that future goal of what how where I see myself in 20 years yeah now you you said that you're a workaholic and yeah. before we started recording we were talking I was saying to you about you said also oh, it's just you on the you who does the podcast and I said yes because I, I need to know how to do everything amazing and you said we're very similar then yeah and so you you are a, a, involved in every single aspect of everything yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> I am honestly the biggest micromanager ever <laughs> I really am I just I like to oversee things and I like to know it's sort of ticking along in the direction that I'm hoping for mm. um which which is which is great I mean I've got an incredible sort of team around me at Gleam I've got my assistant I've got my um my fiance who's my photographer so I, yeah I like to oversee things I like to make sure that where we're aiming we're all on the same path Mm. you know um which is great at this point everyone really gets me and everyone really gets kind of like the route we're going down Mm. so quite often my managers don't need to even ask me questions because they know what I'm going to say anyway so at this point we're almost the same person Mm. (laughs) um yeah do you you reached a point where you were doing this full time you could begin to monetize the channel and brands at that point obviously take an interest yeah I was chatting to Anna in this very room yesterday yeah. <laughs> and saying how if I hadn't had my background in magazines and I just started this podcast as somebody who wanted to speak to people within the beauty industry, within the world, within celebrity, whatever, there are things that have happened that had I not had that experience, I A, wouldn't have known how to deal with them. Mm. I would have thought the industries were really horrible Yeah, and I might have been discouraged. Yeah. And it really gave me a new... And it's all this stuff that's happened is only quite recent. And oh. it's really given me a new perspective on people who didn't have that background. Yeah. I had over 10 years in magazines. That's so I, I knew stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew how things worked. But if I was somebody just a complete civilian, for want of a better word, please don't be offended anyone <laughs> yeah. by that word, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I would think, God, is this worth it? Yeah. So did you come, come up against any of that? Do you mean like the negativity and the kind of bad air you mean in the industry? Just in, just in terms of, so people want to start working with you, even something as basic, and this this isn't exclusive to this industry, so anyone listening who's not a blogger or doing a digital platform, it's not about that, but knowing your worth for one thing, when mm. people say, hi, we'd like to do a sponsored blog post, yeah, and then you have to, you have to attach a value to it. That's yeah. a really, really hard thing to do, right? Absolutely. And, and honestly, I'm really glad that I've had a gleam for that. Um, at the po- I mean, I blogged for maybe 18 months, two years mm-hmm. before Gleam um, signed me to their mm-hmm. management team, management agency. Um, so luckily for me, I actually never had to deal with any contracts or any of that kind of negotiation mm. beforehand. Yeah. Um, so Gleam have kind of always taken it out of my hands. But I mean, especially at the beginning, 
when it was also new, no one knew what to charge mm. for anything. Yeah. And I mean, there were people with millions of followers no idea what to charge who were who were reaching similar audience numbers mm. as magazines who obviously would would charge a lot for different advertisements and whatnot and it kind of it got to a point where gleam were like actually there's so much more worth in this why why are we underselling these mm. these voices that reach their audiences so much more mm. relevant in a much more relevant form yeah and then the whole industry kind of changed and, mm. and people were taken a lot more seriously from that point I feel yeah. um but yeah absolutely and I mean there are still there are still times when I'll get emails from from different global teams everywhere that will be like oh please will you create a video for us for 30 dollars and, and things <laughs> like this I'm like oh no oh, you're so sweet <laughs> yeah that's, that's really nice no <laughs> it's crazy but I know everyone gets those kind of emails but it is it's mad that Six, six years, four, five, six years down the line, mm. people still don't know the worth of this industry. Yeah. When I mean, it's huge and it's an, it's an incredible industry now. Yeah. But I also just think on a, on a personal level, whether it's your money value or your whatever value it might be, just knowing what you're worth, yeah. and which is aligned a bit with, you know, knowing what you stand for. Yeah. These are all really important um, pillars I think yeah, for all of us absolutely because I mean it's not just about audience numbers either it's it's about how much work you've put in it's how, about how respected you are in the industry it's about mm. how expert your voice is and your reputation it's it's everything it's you know and that that kind of expertise can't be taken for granted mm. you know so people people are worth a lot more in this industry than sometimes they're given the credit for I feel mm. I had a brilliant guest on recently, Beck Dory Stein, who wrote this incredible book about her time um, in the Obama administration and traveling wow. with Barack Obama on Air Force One and the like. And she had somebody within that circle who actually said to her at one point, look up, we're, we're in this amazing country, we're at this amazing monument, look up, enjoy it, in, like digest it. Wow. Know where you are, don't just... And she said that really changed things for her. And I wonder as somebody who is constantly creating content... Do you ever do you ever think I might have just missed a really gorgeous moment or so much really so much do you know I remember this um it was in a gig actually have you heard of City in Colour are they a new band it's well no actually it's quite an, well it's it's this guy called Dallas Green that used to be in this big hardcore rock group called Alexis on Fire anyway mm. I'm, go, I'm going off tangent here and I remember it was um he then started this ac- acoustic group called City in Colour. And, you know, when you're at a gig and everyone's got the phones mm. out, taking pictures and videos, yeah. and he was singing this really beautiful song, and it's just the most, like, it like, made me cry. It's such an emotional song. Mm. And, and everyone just had the phones out, and he stopped the song and was just like, guys, mm-hmm. please put down your phones and just enjoy this moment. Like, be with the person next year. Enjoy the music. You don't have to always capture everything. Mm. And I remember it vividly, that moment, where I was, what I was looking at, you know, because it really kind of hit me, and I was like, "You're so right." Like, we're, mm. we never—we're always looking down. We're never like looking up and around us. We're not taking in that moment enough. And I mean, especially for me, I mean, September I did New York, London, Milan, Paris Fashion Week, and Ooh, it was—it right. was—it was incredible, but such a whirlwind. And thinking back now, like, I can't really remember the moments in between the shows mm. and what we did together even just me and Alex or Mm. you know and you're totally right I just need to chill out a bit you know take a step back look around a bit more and just try and take it in 
much more. Well, not necessarily, but you are creating incredible content. It's just whether in creating that content, there is something different that happens when you're looking through the phone. And when I had Emily from Fashion for Our Girl on here, we were talking about the fact that there's research to say that our brains aren't storing memories in the way that they used to. I'm not surprised. Because yeah. our phones are doing it for us. And so How it's crazy. like, it's that, it's the thing like, you know, hair gets the nutrients last in the body because it's an, an unneeded resource. So oh. it's a bit like, well, we don't need to use our memory stores anymore because wow. we can just go and we have access to them on a separate device. Yeah. Yeah. You're, to- you're totally right. It's like, um, I was having this conversation actually a few days ago with a friend. I said, I can still remember an old best friend's home phone number from 20 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. But I could not tell you my dad's mobile phone number now. Mm. Because we no longer have to take in Mm. pieces of information that we once did. And it's a shame. Mm. You know, I mean, I could I could tell you lyrics from a song that I knew when I was five, but I I couldn't tell you I couldn't tell you anything from my Latin exam yeah. when I was fifteen. You know, it's it's funny. Things some things you take in, some things you don't. Mind you, I could tell you I could sing you the entire Star Is Born soundtrack, and that only came out three weeks ago. Me too. <laughs> we should have a sing off later. <laughs> that was nearly the contents of the podcast yesterday with Anna. Really? Literally, like, shall we just sing this soundtrack? That would be so good. You you can take. Lady Gaga's parts. I'll take. Sure. Yeah. I'll take we just <laughs> we just need to find a karaoke studio that just lets us do a Star Is Born. Definitely. Basically. It was so good. So, so good. good. Um, so yeah. So, but are there any are there any moments that you think I just did this amazing thing and I've captured it in a really brilliant way and I'm really proud of how I've editorialized it, but oh. maybe I can't actually remember what it felt like in the moment. Yeah. Right. Do you know, I would say um, one of those moments would have to be NASA. It was this time last year. I went to NASA for, to do a photo shoot. What? It was amazing. I have to show you the photos after this because there's some of the things I'm most proud of, I think. NASA. Yeah, it was it was a project with Olympus cameras, and they wanted me wow. to go with their Olympus pen and capture just mo- just moments. So we went to NASA. We got there at like seven a.m. and we were just spending the day in the park with the massive rockets. And it was, I mean, for me, I'm a space nerd. I am obsessed. I wanted to be an astronaut up until the point I realised I was very bad at maths and science. Um, so for I, me, it was brilliant. Can you imagine me up in space? I didn't realise until I watched First Man the other day. Oh, which I've is seen inc- it. Oh, if you like space, you are going to ha- you are going to live your life. Really, in that way. go to a 4DX experience where you've got the shaky chairs because that I that's what I did and amplified wow. everything to the nth degree. Ooh. But I just thought I just <laughs> thought the ship did everything, and then you went up and you. I didn't realize that you had to do maths on the go. Yeah, it is maths under extreme stress. Maths on the go. It is. God, imagine the ship's going down. Do the maths on the go, quick no, under pressure. That that was what was happening. But they oh all had like. Like I've got here, clipboard and paper and pen. Wow. They're working out, like, I think we need to go three degrees to the left. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, this is why I didn't do maths and science. I went down the artistic route instead, for that reason. <laughs> so if you could go up and they could put it on autopilot, though, would you go up? Um, do you know, I actually wouldn't, because I have the worst travel sickness. Which no actually way. was one of the moments of this trip. We got to go on the... Um, 
oh, what's it called? The zero gravity flight. Oh, the, the whizzy round thingy. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I was very, very ill. Let's just mm. say that. I mean, I get travel sickness on most vehicles. Um, I was very ill, but amazing experience, actually. But yeah, so this, this was part of it, though. And we were spending the day in NASA. And yeah, I really wish I had been more in the moment. I was just too busy going, right, get into my next outfit quick, quick. Because I had like six outfits mm. to change into too busy running around to even enjoy the rocket ships Mm. but it was still incredible (laughs) i remember being in new york this just made me think of something i remember being in new york in 1999 and i went to the top of the one of the twin towers the one with the observation deck and there was a photo shoot going on and i was like oh my god this is so amazing actual (laughs) photo shoot like actual photographer actual model like full full thing lights everything gosh and obviously it was this beautiful campaign. I think it was Guess, but I can't now ah. literally can't remember because it was so many years ago. Ah. But obviously they had Manhattan in the background. And I remember just being transfixed and thinking, oh my God, that's so amazing. But now, truthfully, if I'm walking down the street and I London is my hood, and London <laughs> is full of uh, trademarks, not trademarks, yeah. landmarks. <laughs> yeah. If I see somebody, a blogger, stop, and suddenly, like, put a jacket on without, you know, over their shoulders, yeah. not putting their arms through the sleeves, and <laughs> do a pose, and their boyfriend or something takes a picture. I look and I think, oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> That's so, literally me. Yeah. Was it, was it me? No, it wasn't you. And I'm sorry, because I realise as I'm saying that, that you could throw your no, drink over me. No, do not. No, I totally get it. But I totally get it. I wanted to ask you about the attitude towards blogging because as you said, as we talked about when we were talking about brands' interest in monetizing, these are valid platforms. These are to be taken seriously Mm. and they have a bigger reach than magazines, which are taken very, very seriously. Thank you very much. Mm. But yet there is that sort of funny attitude. Yeah, very much. It is hilarious how much, if you pull out a camera in London still, that people will stop in groups and stare. The other week I was taking pictures. It was during London Fashion Week. We're taking pictures in front of London Bridge. And I'm not joking, not exaggerating. On three occasions, people walked over, stood next to me so that their friend could take a picture of them, stood next to me because they thought I was famous. Oh. Because Alex was taking my picture with a, with a large camera. <laughs> and I was like, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, I'm literally just trying to take a picture of myself in this outfit in front of London Bridge. And Alex was just stood there, dumbfounded, like, what on earth is going on? People still think it's absolutely amazing. They're like, oh, who is this person taking pictures? Do you get people shouting, going, get along for an um, Do you know what? No, I've not really had any negativity like that. No, it's mm. more just stares, and they'll stop, and then they'll take pictures themselves, which they'll probably then send to a friend and be mm. like, who the hell was this idiot? <laughs> but that's fine. I don't need to think about that. Whereas, actually, no, I've never had someone shout anything insulting, luckily. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. But it's just that difference in the perception. Absolutely. You see a full photo shoot on the go. Yeah. Where was I? My friend was in New York and um, Kendall Jenner was being photographed. I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And we like the WhatsApp group sending, oh my God, it's Kendall and she was sending pictures. But then like, but as I was saying, if you see a blogger, you maybe don't give it the same respect. And it just seems, it just seems wrong. Have you, have you had... Have you had to overcome that in any way? Like, actually, not only have I got a monetized platform, do I have this incredible brand, but I've got a PhD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, people... I, I've been typecasted many times as being a blonde, which I hate <laughs> that stereotype. Like, oh, to 
to put people in a box of blonde mm. hair, therefore you're a little bit dumb, is the most insulting thing. It really, really winds me up. So much so that at 14, I dyed my hair dark because I was so, so sick of feeling... At 14, you felt yeah, that way? Yeah, yeah, I did. I went completely dark, like brown, red. Is that because somebody called you a dumb blonde or because you heard people being blondes being referred to as bimbos or something? Both, without right. a doubt, both. You were called a dumb blonde? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's high school, isn't it? You know, you know what people can be like in high school. <laughs> Those hard times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I did. I dyed it completely blonde, um, dark, because I was, uh, even at that age, sick of feeling like I was never going to be good enough because of my hair colour, which I think is just awful. Um, but yeah, we're, we're talking about that's, now, though, aren't we? That's weird. <laughs> no, I know we are, but that's just a really, that's a really interesting decision to make at 14, to feel that so yeah. profoundly. Yeah, I did. I did. Um, it's almost like I had this like 14 year old like mini early life breakdown almost and I was like I just want to change the way I look and I suppose in a way when I went purple as well like five years ago I was also then trying yeah. to cover up the blonde a little bit and be take it a bit more seriously and in the end I was like do you know what this is me um I do, I do have the PhD, but I, I know I'm an intelligent girl. I'm switched mm. on to the world. I kind of know what's going on around me. And I, I did want to be taken seriously. And in the end, I don't... Do you know what? My hair colour doesn't define who I am. But that's how it comes across. That, mm. that decision to me smacks of... Um, there's more to me than my yeah. hair colour and a, a desire for people to see it. And isn't it, yeah. isn't it how fabulous that you people now see that through... The fact that you're an author, the fact that you have this platform where you get to call the shots. Yeah. So maybe it was an early kind of sign of a workaholic who's going to to be self-employed and put out their own content. Do you know what? Maybe that... Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Maybe you're completely right. I've never actually thought about it or made that connection, but potentially it is, it's and a, that's what pushed me. Yeah, it's a really... It's not just... I mean, I remember tinting my hair. I've got dark brown <laughs> hair, so there's very little you can do with it without bleach. Um, but I remember, because of a fashion thing, or because I wanted to copy... I tried to bleach the front to be like Marina Vandervlucht from MTV. <laughs> might be many, many years before your time. Um, but... That was all I could do, but that, they were very much fashion things. It had nothing to do with an interpretation of my character. Yeah. It had to do with, I want hair like, I want to look like. Yeah. So I think that speaks really deeply. Yeah. And positively, I would say. Yeah, I've, I've had a few occasions where people have called me a dumb blonde or a blonde bimbo over the years. Mm. And it's really, if anything, that is the one insult, um, I bet people start calling me this now, it's the one inf- insult that annoys me the most when people think I'm dumb because of my hair colour or because of my accent, or anything like mm. that. It, it annoys me, because it's like, well, how can you pigeonhole someone like that? But I guess, yeah, maybe that's what pushed me to become this workaholic and, and want to succeed and show people you can be, you can look any way and still be extremely successful. And after a PhD, is there any other, are there any other higher qualifications? There are sideways. What's yeah. the next after PhD? Um, well, after PhD, many people either, well, you can become a lecturer mm-hmm. or if you want to do more PhDs, um, if you, I'm pretty sure if you do a couple of PhDs to get to professor level, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not too sure. Well, I mean, there'll, there'll be higher positions than that, mm-hmm. even even more so until the point we get to like the top of the university. But but yeah, but there's your degree, there's masters, and there's. I mean, it. It's, yeah, it's it's <laughs> it, for most for most it's kind of the place where you'd get to. Unless yeah. you want to be a professor, you wouldn't really do many more. But it shows commitment. It shows that you've got a massive work ethic because those things aren't easy. No, and that you stick with things. Yeah, I do. Well, that's it. Going back to what I said earlier, if I, if I'm doing something, I'm gonna throw myself into it full force. Mm. Mm. Is there anything you would... It's such a cheesy question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> ha, with six years under your belt, what would you like somebody to have said to you when you first went full-time? Um, oh, that's really difficult, actually. Shall I tell you mine? Because it is a difficult okay. question. Okay. So I think I really have two, which is know, know your worth. Yeah. Because for a long time as a freelancer, if somebody said, would you, are you free to do X, Y, or Z? I would respond to the thing that I would th- I thought would offend them the least. Really? Yeah. So I would end up underselling myself. Oh. Whereas now I don't do that. Now I do, now I do, I send what will offend me the least. <laughs> really? I love it. <laughs> um, and I think that's, yeah, a fundament. That's one of the things I would say is don't be afraid to ask for what you're worth because if they can't afford you, then that's not. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I'm now going off on a tangent to give yeah. you time to think about yeah. your answer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if I time. went into Chanel now this afternoon yeah. after I've spoken to you and I said, hello, I'd like one of your handbags and they told me the price tag, I wouldn't say, well, that seems, you seem a bit expensive. I would have to say, I can't afford that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I've had, you've had to switch it. If so, if you tell somebody what you're worth and say, oh, this is what my day rate is, and they come back and say, you're very expensive, <laughs> that's not what it is. They can't afford you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that idea. Yeah. I guess... So, it, so it's, it's the thing that I wish I'd done earlier. Is, mm. is that what you mean? Yeah, or just something that you'd wish you'd known in those early days. Ooh. Um, I guess... Do you know, it's kind of hard because I feel like my whole journey, I've I've stuck very true to who I was, actually, and I haven't done many things that I would regret, really. I, I guess I would just say be even more selective than I have been. I mean, I'm, I'm extremely selective now and have been for years, but I'd probably say just be a little bit more selective. Mm. Um, no, like maybe understand my journey a little bit earlier, but that's so hard to say, isn't it? Because mm. journeys change, like at any point mm. I mean I, tomorrow I might be like do you know what I don't want to do luxury fashion anymore I want to do interiors you know mm. and then then you go down something else so it's it's kind of hard to say but I guess a bit like you really just staying just staying true to myself if someone sort of say t- said something like that to me um just kind of know where you want to be stick stick on that path and try not to get you know re rerouted mm. in some way because there, there will have been times where I've done something or maybe I've filmed a video or written a blog post that maybe was a little bit off track mm. but I feel like I've I've always kind of come back again in the mm. same pathway so yeah be be more selective try and try and see the journey before you're there you know kind mm. of head head down where Plot you think you should be yeah, mm. plot, plot your course. I like mm. that. Um, but at the same time, things, there will always be forks in the road and there will always be things that come up. Um, 
that will try and throw you off course. But as long as you've got a clear direction, mm. then then you should be sorted. I think with those things that throw you off course, I always think you have to think, right, is this throwing me off course or is this the universe steering yeah. me on the right path? Is this way it's meant to be? <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah, like the, the other week I lost my passport right before a flight and so many people messaged saying... I don't think this flight was meant to be for you or this trip wasn't meant to be. Mm. And so many people said it, I started to believe it. I was like, <laughs> maybe this trip wasn't meant for me. Okay, right, yes, next next thing, you know, maybe. help me get over it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Even if it just soothes you. In the yeah, moment. it did. <laughs> so tell me about the significance of what it must have been like to have your face up in Piccadilly Circus <laughs> for the L'Oreal campaign. You're the, what, you're the brand ambassador for their... Elvive? Yeah, well, right? I was I was for that campaign. Mm. Yeah, I'm a I'm a L'Oreal beauty ambassador for everything, really. Mm. Um, they're an incredible team, and it, that particular campaign was for Elvive, which mm. is like probably one of the biggest selling shampoo yeah. ranges in the whole world. Um, so I was the red one, and the red one is the most the most popular. Mm-hmm. Um, it was incredible. I mean, I had no idea really what I was getting myself into on that day because I didn't realise how big this campaign yeah. was going to go. It was in magazines, like I had full page spreads. There was one in ES magazine where I was right behind David Beckham, particularly <laughs> like that one. And um, it was in Vogue as well, wasn't it? Because yeah, Baggett was it? She hates being called Baggett. The <laughs> yeah, was in the same campaign, wasn't she? Yes, no, she was. She was. I'm not blue. sure she was, she blue. was blue. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I had no idea, kind of how far and wide. I mean, it was even on. It was inside stores, and it was on Piccadilly Circus. Mm. It was honestly so surreal. I had people sending pictures, even from Manchester. And I was on huge billboards in Manchester above, like, the big walkway section through the city. Mm. And just, I mean, do you know what? Seeing that probably meant even more to me because I'm from Manchester. Mm. Well, well, Wigan, technically, but around that area. I spent 10 years in Manchester. It it was absolutely amazing Mm. that my faith there, you know, on this huge advertising campaign and then it was on tv as well mm. I, didn't, I had no idea it was it was amazing real career highlight like mm. real pinch me moment one thing that seems to be consistent uh, amongst my pals who do this kind of thing is that we're all we're all quite bad at savoring the landmarks and yeah. congratulating ourselves and we're just i'm clicking my fingers listening yeah. sorry that's probably really annoying we're just always <laughs> on to the next one just like what what next what next fine absolutely i've banked that let's go let's move on to the next thing <laughs> yeah were you able to take that in and go, that's that's one of the most significant billboards, if not the most famous yeah. advertising landscape on the planet? Yeah. Do you know what? I haven't taken it in properly, no. And I'll probably, I, one day it'll hit me and I'll be like, oh my gosh. I mean, I realised the significance and I was, it was honestly surreal. But you're right, I haven't probably taken it in the way I should, should have done. I mean, seeing it on TV was crazy. And having my dad ring and be like, Vicky, you're mm-hmm. on TV. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, yes, it's crazy. But no, you're right. We do need to take more time for these significant moments. I'm the same. I, I do one thing. And Alex is like, oh, well done, babe. This is amazing. I'm like, brilliant. Right. Now, how's this going for this, this yeah. project we're doing? You know, we don't, I, don't, I need to just chill out and enjoy and savour these moments you're so, so right Alex does it for you do you have a network of people who do what you do who offer a similar perspective because I had a grump the other day on the phone to Nadine and she said right I'm going to stop you there if I had told you this time last year that you would have this as a problem you would have been very very happy so maybe yeah. wind your neck in. you're totally <laughs> right you are totally right like sometimes I do step back and think do you know what my family are 
all healthy and well. I'm I'm okay. I'm in an okay position right now. I've got an incredible team. It's when you find that perspective. But there are the times when things get so on top of you that you do lose that perspective momentarily, yeah. don't you? Yeah. But usually, usually I'm pretty good with the perspective and just being like, this is this is awesome. You know, take it in. When was the moment when you uh, had to get a team? Because if you are somebody who likes to do everything themselves, who yes. is a workaholic, <laughs> delegating is really hard. And you yeah. already said you're a micromanager. Yeah. When you got an assistant, when you got someone in, was it under duress? Or was it like <laughs> yeah. actually, the, actually, was the decision... I think my content will suffer if I don't do this and then you could do it. Yeah, I think it was probably a content kind of issue. Um, I was just doing more and more, having less time and yeah, just needing someone that was almost a second pair of eyes mm. on it all. And luckily my best friend, I've known her 15 years, Rebecca, she's she's literally me in another person's body. Like we almost sound the same. We have the exact same mannerisms, the, the exact same way of being. So almost in a way, she's the most perfect assistant for me. Um, <laughs> and over the years, like first of all, she kind of, she went part-time, just did a few things. And then recently I was like, Rebecca, I need your help. Please, <laughs> could you just go full-time? And I'm so glad because this, this particular fashion week that's just been was the first one she's really helped me with. Mm. And because of that, it was so organised, it flowed, it was just dreamy. And even even after it, she was like, right, so this was successful, but I feel like we could do this, 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 and this, and then next year it'll be even better. And I'm like, <laughs> I love you. Honestly, she's just the best. <laughs> do, how do you cope with Fashion Week? I only ever did, well, I've only ever really done London, and then I've done like the occasional, but I've never done all four back to back, and lots of my friends do for magazines. Right. Yeah. And the week that they come back, I am like, please tell me that you're dosed up. Have you got Fashion Week flu? Yeah. It's exhausted. Because it yeah. it's lots of hurry, hurry upping and waiting. Hurrying up and waiting. It absolutely is, isn't it? Mm. It's rushing and then waiting and then rushing, waiting. Mm. Um, do you know what, actually? This, um, it was. This fashion month was the most successful it's ever been for me. I got to do some insane shows, met lots of incredible people, really inspiring. Um, but at the same time, whilst it was such a high, I had the lowest of lows right after it. For about two weeks, I was really, really low. Mm. And I'm never usually like that. I'm usually such an upbeat, bubbly person. Mm. But it, it zapped me of every part of my energy base it possibly could. What do you think you need to do differently to make sure it doesn't happen next time? I think being even more selective in terms of what shows I go to. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe just pull it back a little bit. Not go to so many, but the ones that that also support me as well as me supporting them. Mm-hmm. I feel like it should also be that brand sort of really respecting the fact that you're going to go to that show and, and give them that love would mm-hmm. be... Because there are a lot of brands that do really care that I go, which is wonderful, but there are a lot of brands that are like, oh, well, it's just another number, you know. <laughs> so maybe just be a bit more selective in terms of that. and Because um, it's nice to be yeah, invited, isn't it? It is. It's amazing. It's incredible. If someone had told me when I was sat in my university lecture talking about... London Fashion Week and how it all works if someone had told me then you'll be going to the shows down the line I honestly wouldn't have believed and them and you'll be in the front row in the front row yeah well, <laughs> tell me about that first front row experience do you I mean I'm trying to do you think remember it clear it as day I think <laughs> do you know what I feel like one of my first front rows might have been it might have been Burberry I want to say was one of the first ones actually mm-hmm. um and it was amazing just just to be sat there 
on the front row, being able to see things properly, which is which is always nice, yeah. and take actual pictures without a person's head in the way. It's really, <laughs> really nice. Um, yeah, it does. It, it hits you that moment, doesn't it? Just thinking like, wow, I never thought I'd ever get here. But to be taken seriously in this industry is, is an amazing thing, and it just felt really nice. Was that what it represented? It was actually this brand cares about my platform enough to make sure I have an unobstructed view of their new collection yeah yeah absolutely as opposed to who's next to me (laughs) yeah yeah I mean there are a lot of politics as you know in in where you sit Mm. inside the room and I feel like at this point I actually don't even care Mm. If if I'm in the room watching the Chloe show I don't care if I'm fifth row or front row I'm still there you know Mm. there's there's millions of people around the world that would have loved to have been at that show and I'm there in that room like don't take it for granted um and it, it's taken me a couple of years to realise that because at first you're always like oh I really would love to go front row yeah. and I'm like you know what as long as I'm in the room and I can see it it's it's just an amazing opportunity isn't it mm. I remember going to a 2812 show years ah. ago and Anna Wintour was sitting by herself on the other side of the room and me being a glutton for punishment I thought I don't like anyone sitting by themselves looking lonely in a room Aww. full of people. So I went to, I was like, I'm doing it. I'm going to go and talk to her. I'm going to go and introduce myself and say hi. Wow. No agenda, just, hi, how are you? And then my friend who was next to me went, stay down. Oh my gosh. <laughs> really? What did she say? No, I didn't go over oh, there. My didn't. friend was just like, oh, stay down, right. stay where you are. I know exactly <laughs> what you're like. Stop it. Oh, right. I thought you meant you'd gone over and then she like dragged you away and pulled you no, down. No, it could have gone horribly and a whole oh, room full of people no. would, have, would have seen me. But she was just sitting on her own looking at her phone oh, in a room full of people. And that's I so do sweet that, of you. And I do that when I when I'm feeling shy. So I, like, oh, yeah. I think Anna Wintour might be feeling shy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I should just go and ask her how her day is. Can you imagine? Oh, my gosh. She's so fab. Oh, no. No, she wouldn't have, I'm sure she would No. I don't know what she would have done, but she wouldn't have been, she wouldn't have been rude. She would have been a bit confused, maybe. <laughs> like, that takes lady. some balls. Yeah. Good on you, though, for thinking about it. That is so funny. I've never done anything like that, I don't think. <laughs> have, you, have you ever been in a front row where you've looked along and gone, oh, my goodness me? Yeah. Yeah, a few times. Mm. I mean, it was actually, it was amazing this year at the Versace show in Milan. And they'd literally given an entire row to influencers, which had never happened before mm. like that. And it was, it was four rows on one side. And on the other side of the, of the catwalk was literally one row, just one row. And it was entirely influencers just sat next to each other, all bloggers, Instagrammers. Mm. And it was, it was kind of an amazing moment because it felt like, I mean, Versace, it's such an incredibly massive mm. brand. And for them to really take all these girls and guys seriously like mm. that, to give them their own bench to yeah. see the show, it was a really nice moment. Mm. It kind of felt like what we do was really worthwhile and that they respected it. Mm. So that, that, that was an incredible moment, I feel this season must feel very validating yeah we've talked about it a lot with guests on this show so I'm interested to ask you because there is no blueprint for success Mm. in this uh, industry yeah necessarily no (laughs) um lots lots of us are just starting out on our own going I want to create this content and we just start and we continue and we're consistent Mm. and there can be an element of imposter syndrome (laughs) absolutely yes um what are your experiences with that I, the first time I feel I ever had imposter syndrome, actually, was um, 
one of the first few weeks when I started as a lecturer and I was sat with all the other lecturers around this big table because we'd, we'd sort of meet every Monday and mm. chat through like the agenda for the week and all that kind of thing. And any t- I remember any time I'd open my mouth, I'd go bright red because I'd feel I am not worthy of sitting with these incredible professionals who are extremely intelligent. Um, I'm not worthy of raising my ideas. They're not going to care what I think. Like, who who cares what this 24-year-old thinks? Mm. You know, and every time I felt like an imposter, I thought I wasn't really good enough to be there. When I, I mean, actually, I was. Mm. I was. I had my PhD. I knew what I was talking about. In terms of digital and that very, very modern mm. fashion world, I probably knew quite a bit more than some of them did Mm. in terms of that topic not everything else but um yeah it it is it does take you over sometimes like imposter Mm. syndrome it does make you sort of quiet when actually if you just sort of raise your voice and show what you're worth to other people then you know you can really see what you can do yeah and they it's up to them whether they listen or not yeah kind of absolutely as long as you stay true to yourself which we keep coming back to yeah now this really interesting interested me the um the PhD, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. was in online slash mobile shopping. Yes. Which you were, you must have been writing that PhD on that particular topic before it all took off. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. In, well, because my particular topic was very much, yeah, very much mobile-based. So it's mobile consumer behaviour. Mm-hmm. So there was, there was no research on mobile at that time. Mm-hmm. So I had to base a lot of mine on online um, which, which there was more of, and it was growing continuously, but there was barely any research, primary research on mobile. So it was a little bit difficult at that point. And that's why I did so much of my own primary research. And I did interview after interview mm. for hours on how people behaved and reacted and the effects of mobile websites and mobile apps on how they felt, on how they shopped, on how just all their emotions. It was very emotions-based, yeah. Yeah, but it was really really interesting the way it the way it all kind of panned out and the things that I learned. It was it was incredible. Well, not only that, but I think interesting that you were writing that before the industry cottoned on to the fact that that's where they needed to focus a lot of their attention. Yeah. Because yeah. I do, I certainly I have three or four fashion fashion apps on my phone and they're the only ones that the only places I shop from. Really, really? from apps. Yeah. Interesting. Because I, I know you've said recently people are switching to online. Yeah. I probably what I do is I put things in my bag or in my wish list on an app and then I go and buy it. That's so interesting. Do you know what? And that is totally in line with what my research found. Mm. People loved mobile for research on the go, quickly finding items, mm. but when it came to actually pressing purchase on a phone, Sometimes you'd like to take a little bit more time and go see it bigger on the screen yeah. at home, spend a bit more time thinking about it and like, do I really, really need this thing? And then they'll hit purchase. And yeah. that, that's what I found a lot of the time. So obviously I kind of had to put through ideas of how you can encourage more purchasing on mobiles and etc. Mm. But I feel like, for example, in the book, I mentioned it about ASOS and their sales figures. Mm. And there's so much more mobile heavy. Mm. Like most people will buy from their mobile now. And I it's even see it. It's very easy to buy from their app. Yeah. Well, yeah. They've made it very, very easy mm. and simple. They're very clever. Almost too easy. <laughs> yeah. But even even my, my blog, I remember um, a few years ago, there weren't many people really looking at it on mobile. So I'd be like, oh, I don't really need to make a mobile site yet. And then after the PhD, I was like, okay, yeah, maybe I should make this mobile site a bit better. And then now, I only recently redesigned my blog, maybe a couple of months ago, and the top priority was mobile has to be good. Because now, I think it's about 65% of my audience is on mobile. Interesting. Yeah, massively switched. 
Wow. Yeah. That, that is a big switch. What would have been 18 months ago? It would have been half that? Do you know what? I'd love to see. I might graph this out. Just <laughs> my, my stats lover inside of me be like, how did this grow? But yeah, absolutely. I would have said maybe two years ago, probably would have been 20, 25%. Now 65% all on mobile. Oh God, WhatsApp me that data. I'd be yeah. fascinated to see. Yeah. I there know. is something that you talk about in this book, and I don't know whether it constitutes being a spoiler. So I don't know whether oh, you want to talk on. about it. Go on. About something that you talk about in the last chapter. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. About something that you would like to potentially do. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about that? <laughs> yeah, if you want, if you like to. So you say, you've said, <laughs> that's so funny. I think it's on the wall behind me. I've just yeah. opened the book and there's a picture, there's a glamour cover. And it's actually right there. On the wall behind me as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, about potentially starting your own label and becoming a designer in your own right. Yeah. I mean, that that that's a dream, isn't it? I've always... I always say this, but I remember being about um, probably about 12 and I was sat with my stepdad and we were drawing out ideas for logos for my future fashion brand. (laughs) But then I was like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have my own label? So we were doing that. And I guess ever since... I mean, when I went to university, I went down the marketing route, the business route. Mm-hmm. I, I was in that fo- fork in the road, the fork in the road where you either go down fashion design or you go down fashion business. And I realised, well, I really love marketing. I'll go down the business route. Mm. But I've always loved the idea of designing my own collection. And I, I just feel like I have a certain style that people kind of know me for. Mm-hmm. They know what to expect from yeah. me. And I just feel like sometimes when I'm looking around the market I can't find the right item that I would love to mm. wear and I feel, and the amount of times my audience are like oh I'd love to wear your collection if you ever made one it, it would be a dream mm. I mean make bringing it to fruition is a lot more difficult yeah. um so you never know one day I feel like you've done it the right way around I think doing the marketing business doing the PhD give you so much grounding yeah. to be able to do the the collection on your terms at the time that's right yeah I guess so Can you imagine yeah. if you'd brought out a collection already oh gosh I don't know like yeah do you mean if I went down the, the design yeah, route when you got that, when that you way. Were that fork in the road if you'd gone the other way yeah I think then the marketing decisions would have been made by someone else yeah. whereas now I guess it would be more on my terms I suppose there you go micromanaging yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> that's me a- again yeah you'd be able to micromanage so again it's a bit like the dyeing your hair when you're 14 yeah you're making decisions that maybe at the time seems yeah. like something else but actually they were steering you towards absolutely I do believe in fate actually I do believe things very much happen for a reason mm. so maybe that was it but yeah in terms of my own line it would be a dream but you never know I'll, I can try my best I mean I love the path I'm on now and I love mm. what I'm doing now but it would it would be a, a big dream of mine yeah, yeah. I'd be super excited to see I think really, really oh, thank you I love <laughs> seeing I love seeing men and women going after what they love and are passionate about and making it a reality yeah and being happy in the process and feeling um like literally like doing what they love yeah and making it work and take kicking ass and taking names whatever you want to say like that inspires me so much like I'm a real I love those kind of stories yeah you know like I love a rags to riches story but I prefer if I'm honest a uh had it lost it got it again <laughs> yeah story. oh yeah like that <laughs> it's just my thing yeah because i guess then it just shows you anything can happen but if you can just keep on rising and believing mm. in yourself then you can make things a reality well i think we hear lots of stories success stories and mm. they're great they're wonderful mm. but they're 
failure is is a huge part of yeah anything yeah absolutely completely just changes your perspective on everything and makes you much stronger i guess is there anything in the last six years that at the time you would have thought oh no or maybe you wouldn't have called it a failure but you would have felt rocked by it that now you look back and think actually i'm really pleased that happened because it it now means that this has happened and i'm really happy with this yeah i suppose one thing that comes to mind would be when i changed my content to much more luxury focus Mm -hmm. which is about four years ago and I'd made I made the idea like I didn't just just decide flippantly to do it it was something I sat down with my team about and was like I feel like in the market of bloggers there aren't many doing luxury fashion or luxury beauty in a much more specific way Mm -hmm. that's always been my passion I feel like at this point there are so many new bloggers coming up why don't I just try and do something a little bit more niche like mm. that? And like, yeah, if, if that's what you're passionate about, you go for it. And I, I got a lot of backlash, to mm. be honest. There was a lot of people like, well, this isn't what we came for. Mm. You know, you used to do sort of a lot of your ASOS hauls and now and again, I'd even do Primark and that sort of thing. Um, I just kind of dabbled with everything in the market. And then when I decided, actually, I, I do want to kind of stay more true to myself. This is what I was speaking about yeah. earlier. And be like, this is, this is the kind of fashion that I really love. And this is what I'm most passionate about. And I love hearing about designer brands and how they've got their inspiration. And I liked that side of the industry more than the sort of high street side. Um, so is that how you would define luxury as a designer brand? It's not a price thing for you. It's just... Yeah, I guess it is just those... Oh, do you know, it's quite a difficult one. I've not actually thought about that, but I guess it's just the brands. I, I, in my head, I can think of brands and immediately think that's a luxury brand, that's a premium high street, that's a high street. Right, okay. I guess I don't really see it in terms of price, actually, now, now you mention it. No, it's interesting. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that price would have necessarily come into it, but I am curious what defines luxury for you. I guess it's the brand image then now you mention mm-hmm. it. Yeah, the brand image, where, they play, where they've placed themselves in the whole market, um, how they market themselves. Yeah, do you know, that's really interesting. I've never thought about that and what constitutes a luxury brand, but I suppose it would be that, the brand image that they've yeah. created. Um, but what, what, what was I talking about though before that? Um, the 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 failure, the backlash about um, yes, gosh, you're, you're so direction. good at remembering. See, this is how bad my short term <laughs> memory is. I get talking about things, and I'm like, what was I talking about earlier? I've done that three times now so far. Um, yeah, so I did. I got some backlash on it, but at the same time, I also got a lot of positivity, which was wonderful. Mm. And people were like, I really like the fact that you're kind of defining yourself and you're going down a specific route that's really passion you're passionate about, and um, and that you believe in. And then obviously over the years, I might have lost some of my audience, but I also gained a new mm. audience. And now I'm very much more focused on the clothing I love, the things I love to wear, and talking about those brands. Yeah, and so numbers, as much as it's nice to have big numbers, and yeah. you enjoy big numbers that you've worked hard for, but they're not your, it's not about, right, I've got to get another 100,000, or I've got to get another. No, definitely not at this point either. No, it's just, for me, it's more retaining the audience that I've spent a long time engaging with mm. and chatting with. Yeah. You know, because I've got, I honestly have the most amazing audience. They're so kind, they're so thoughtful. I constantly get the most wonderful messages of just motivation, encouragement. Mm. I feel very, very lucky for that. And I just want to kind of keep them happy. I, I don't care about growing anymore at this point, to be honest. Mm. I just want to stay kind of where I am, doing amazing things, hoping for the best and keeping that, that audience that have grown with mm. me. 
Well, you get what you give. So if you're getting a lot of love back, it yeah. must mean that they're getting a lot of love from you. Oh, I like to think <laughs> of it that way. That's nice. Right. We're coming to the end of our time together. So <laughs> let's just quickly talk about, well, not quickly, we've covered it a lot, but the new fashion rules will be out when this podcast goes live. Yes. So the link uh, will be in the show notes. Oh, thank you. And obviously you. it will be on Instagram. I will <laughs> share this on stories. Oh, thank you. It's been so interesting chatting to you. And I, I honestly, this is such an interesting read. It genuinely... Really? wasn't what I was expecting when I first saw that you'd written a book. Did you think it would be a style guide? I knew, I knew it would be much meatier. Right. Much meatier. But I, I didn't realise how meaty. Like, right. it's a really... It's... it's um, There's a lot in it, and it's really bright, and it's really interesting. And exactly like you said, I learned so much. Really? There, there <gasps> was. There is something on every page that I certainly didn't know. I'm, I'm not so happy. I'm not though. That's amazing feedback. Well, that's what, that's what the book is for, though. It's for literally everybody. I wrote mm. it for fashion students. I wrote it for my nana that might want to learn about fashion. Mm. I wrote it for the 50-year-olds that still absolutely love to get dressed up and go out for drinks with the girls and they want to know a bit more about the fashion industry. Mm. Literally, I feel anyone could pick up this book and find something new. Yeah. Yeah, it's going on my coffee table. Really? <laughs> yeah. That means so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me, <laughs> listeners. Thank you for tuning in. The links to everything uh, in the fro, Victoria, social, the book, whatever. It will all be in the show notes. So please do go over there if you want to find out any more. And thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, honestly. It's been a total pleasure. Before you go, I just wanted to say a huge thank you for listening to that episode. I sincerely hope that you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch with me, and I would love it if you did, please do email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or why not slip into my DMs on social media where I'm at Emma Guns. That's at E-M-M-A-G-U-N-S. You can also join the closed Facebook group. The link to join will be in the show notes, which you can find wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also the place where you might be given the option to subscribe and I urge you to click that button so you never miss an episode. And it's also where you might have the option to leave a five-star review and a little couple of sentences about what you're enjoying. And if you do have the time to do that, I would be so, so grateful. Thank you again for listening. I'll be back next week with another fantastic guest and I will see you on the next one.